Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtrip.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona. August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it you want from Mild to wild, they'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio. We are back broadcasting the bite. As always, from Canton, Ohio, my name is Eric Stambro with yet again another fucking cold. I just listened to, oh, we just got demonetized, by the way. Yeah. I said the F word within 10 seconds, but uh, I listened to the episode that came out yesterday with uh, Josh Brainerd and I definitely had a cold um, with me as always is the guy who's not sick. Ted Summers from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Ted, what's up? Uh, definitely not sick. Uh, not today. This anyway. is today, by the way, this happened today. Fuck. Yeah. It's St. Patrick's day. So there's that. Um, oh, yeah. Funny. I'm we're, I'm getting ready for another handler school. I just got back. I was at the, uh, I was at a USPCA conference a couple weeks ago in uh, Minnesota doing decoy stuff or doing a decoy seminar or, or presentation and the uh, scenario based training presentation and then came back and the, I landed on a Tuesday night at 10 o'clock and then I had to be two hours away from Tulsa at eight o'clock the next morning to do a patrol integration seminar with a bunch of administrators and non canine people, which was interesting. Uh, it was fun bunch of my handlers uh were like can you come down and talk to our admins and to our uh to our non-canine people so we ran them through a bunch of scenarios with the dog uh it's interesting to do those because normally like when we do these scenario-based training things like we do hrds like we focus on canine right like we're focusing on canine focusing on guys so focusing on handlers focusing on dogs we're explaining stuff so it was an interesting uh it was an interesting departure from what I normally do where I just kind of look at my handler and say, go do this. And they know exactly what I mean. And then I have to talk to people that I don't know that well. <laughs> I'm like, so this is what's going on. And then I have to explain to them like, okay, once the dog's on, that's what I need you to do. We run them through a bunch of scenarios and I, we had a Dude, bunch. You had a lot of people there. Like that was yeah. a lot. Yeah. We had a lot of important people, shiny shoes and stripes, um, which were, they were all about it. And uh, they were, you know, the biggest thing about that is that the biggest takeaway. And I think a lot of people listening to this will, because your handlers, you'll understand this is that, you know, it takes a village to train these stupid dogs and it takes a village to deploy them correctly. Um, you know, it's not just a dog and his chauffeur or handler driving around and, and deploying. I'm like, you've got to have, 
you know, admins and you've got to have patrol guys like on, like you got to have them on your side with you to help advocate for you. And um, a lot of that, you know, they have to understand the capabilities. They have to understand some of the case law. Um, they have to understand several things like when we can or when we should or shouldn't deploy. I focused a lot on that when I was there about, you know, talking about some specific case law where uh, dogs were biting people and backup should have known that it went on too long or they should have known that they shouldn't have been bit in the first place. And then they were held accountable for that as well. But then, you know, thankfully in law enforcement now, shit's starting to roll uphill. So the administrators are getting popped for failure to train, which I'm all about too. So uh, after that, I went to uh, Fort Myers uh, with Yari and the guys down there and did an HRD. Uh, we had some dudes, we had a dude there from Rochester, New York, had a team from South Carolina there. So uh, it was a pretty good seminar. We had a, we were in an old newspaper facility that was massive. It's pretty cool. But uh, what have you been up to? You went somewhere too. Where'd you go? Yeah, I went to Dubai, and people were like, "How was Dubai?" I said, uh, "It's Vegas without homeless people." <laughs> this is exactly what it looks like, and only because I was there. So I flew there last Tuesday, uh, the week before Tuesday night. Left out of Chicago, uh, like I think it was like six thirty, seven o'clock, six six thirty at night. Landed there Wednesday night at about. Uh, 5 30 6 30 something like that uh in dubai um they had a driver waiting for me drove me to the hotel my buddy khaled who's a uh uh long time dog trainer over there not for dubai but for another uae uh emirates police department he's a brigadier general there now um he met me at the hotel one of the nicest human beings i've ever met he's been to the house here a couple times and um stayed with me but uh he said hey you want to um you want to go to dinner? We're going to meet Tobias Gustafson and uh, a couple other guys at, at dinner, uh, Tobias's son and some other folks. And I said, sure. We went to Texas Roadhouse hmm. at the <laughs> you mall. You flew to in fucking Dubai. Dubai to eat at Texas Roadhouse? Yeah, and it tastes exactly like Texas Roadhouse here. Oh, exactly. I'm sure it does. But And those guys had been there for lunch the day before. And I'm like, guys, I mean, it's not it's Texas Roadhouse. That ain't that great, but... What cool was it's at the base, basically at the base of that skyscraper they have the tallest, the maybe the Wiz Khalifa or some shit it's called. It's the highest building. That's in the a world. rapper, but I know, but it's Black, something similar Black to Adela. that. And uh, but it's got a uh, Bellagio style fountain at the base of it, so that plays music. The whole building lights up like a big laser shows all the time. It, that that part is pretty cool. Then Thursday morning, I spoke at the World Police Summit which was a massive, massive police conference. And Thursday was dog day. So there was a lot of other rooms with other topics going on, but all the canine guys we spoke. Uh, then I spoke first at 930 in the morning, 30 minutes. Everybody was 30 minutes. Um, and I left Friday morning, so I was not there very long. Damn. Yeah. A lot of food. Uh, brunch there was amazing at the 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 event was crazy man it was very uh high-tech electronic based stuff it was almost like shot show for just like fancy cop stuff so helicopters drones some sweet ass armored vehicles from companies that i've never heard of uh just Don't a lot they know of we have a whole defund the police going on right now here uh, well they're funny so lapd had a bunch <laughs> of people there um Interpol, a lot of a lot of foreign agencies were there, and 
me. So uh, <laughs> they told me it was business formal. So I'm like, don't tell me what to do. So I wore a suit with no tie and gym shoes. I saw that you wore your. I didn't. Why didn't you just wear your gi? I almost did. It's like, got a fucking belt. <laughs> my, my look, yeah, I could have wore it and said, "I'm a white belt. Don't mess with me." Or if you do, if you're, if you do, I'll barely survive. So, um, but it was cool, man. Uh, I ended up. My topic was training for the work, not the certificate. And so uh, they're like, "You had to, dude. This was a major production. Like they had, it was crazy how they had this thing set up. There was a princess there." You know, the uh, from the royal family of that that Emirates, she her and her people there. I guess she owns a dog company, maybe, and had some some um personal protection dogs. Our buddy Dave Smeets has sold sold her a dog, she has one of his. Um, it was a huge production, so like a couple of days before, I send them my PowerPoint, which I sent them from this Mac, so it was uh, the Mac's version of PowerPoint, and they're yeah, like, he, Yeah, we can handle any of it, we can handle any computer system, just send it to us. Well, my, my PowerPoint was two slides. That was it. A big intro slide that just had the name and then one with about eight bullet points on it. That was it. And I just pointed, kept pointing the pointer at it. Had a, dude, there was a huge monitor in front of me so I could see my PowerPoint without having to turn around. I just turned around so I could, you know, green light the stuff. It was a, it was a pretty sweet deal. Um, and I just talked about, you know, um, Funding your guys, standing behind them, you know, proper selection, stop just using sleeves, really try. I talked about my first dog, Gina, with 70 failures. Um, again, I still, I've, you know, we've talked all over the United States. I've never heard of a handler having as many failures to engage as I have in the history of this job. So, um, but anyways, I talked about that and what else? Oh. Staying out of the office, if you're if you're the trainer or captain, get your ass out there. Let them see you lead from the front, that type of stuff, all that type of stuff. And it, w- it went over really well. I had a meeting with the Dubai police guys. They, I think they want me to come back in the fall, but uh, we'll see. Um, David Adebempe was there. Uh, he was in full gear, full uh, regalia. I guess he goes there all the time. There was... Uh, uh lee from modern icon lee and i hung out a bunch i saw that yeah he was there um some aussie dudes that were pretty sweet those guys were real good a lot of those foreign guys that i met were uh fans of the podcast so it was pretty cool and now i'm back here training dogs so usual shit (laughs) when we're done with this i have to go to the kennel so exactly never changes what do we got going on tonight well, tonight, uh, I actually ran into this guy, uh, our, our host at, at HITS. He was an instructor at HITS when you and I were there. Of course, we didn't nail him down. And it's good that we didn't then because uh, we can do a full episode, and I kind of we kind of wanted to anyway. But we have Kyle Schoberg on tonight. Kyle is a sergeant out in North Carolina, or not North Carolina, Northern California. He's been in law enforcement 15 years. Seven of those have been a handler. Uh, when in 2014, he was assigned to the canine unit. He serves there as currently as a unit supervisor. Uh, has worked multiple times with SWAT, post-certified, uh, done the skids thing. Uh, multiple critical incidents, including direct involvement, four officer-involved shootings, 500 canine deployments, and 60 canine apprehensions. Several police commendation awards, a notable two Medal of Valors, and a Distinguished Service Medal and a Life-Saving Ribbon, uh, where he's saving officers' lives to shot in the line of duty, uh, which the story, if you haven't heard, is pretty hairy. Um, prevented various law enforcement agencies throughout the country. 
um, and of course, where a lot of people probably know you from is the Shots Fired podcast, uh, which is where he's at right now in the Shots Fired studio. I am in my office at home, though, and so is Eric. So, uh, <laughs> Kyle, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, good, guys. Thanks for asking me to come on. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And like I said, this is one of those that we like kind of, you know, we're like, well, we need to have him on. We need to do a full episode and then nailing shit down and moving people around and then you know we were talking about before we started recording the big myth is that podcasting is cheap and easy and it's fucking neither so yeah, right. <laughs> we're yeah. in we're in three different time zones and uh so yeah getting everybody lined up has been good so um i gave you like a brief background but um give us a little bit about like how you got into law enforcement and then how you went to the dog route yeah so shoot um Gosh, I started when I was 20 years old in law enforcement. I was in college going to school, and uh, <clears throat> my uncle at the time worked at a police department. He was a sergeant there, and I, I kind of wanted to go into the fire service, be a paramedic firefighter. Uh, I wasn't really too heavily leaning on law enforcement at the time. Got my EMT license, worked on an ambulance for about a year, and that just wasn't for me. And so I started doing some ride-alongs with my uncle, and I was like, I just fell in love with it, honestly. My first ride-along I thought was so cool. I, I felt like I was living like in an episode of cops and, you know, I used to watch it on TV all the time as a kid. So that really piqued my interest. Uh, this is fresh out of high school. So I, I like I said, I went to college, um, was taking some actually criminal justice classes and I'm from a small town up by uh, Tahoe in California. So it's a town called grass Valley and it's not very big. They were hiring for officers to send to the Academy at the time. And this was back in 2006. So I thought, well, I didn't think I was going to get hired. I threw my application in. My plan was to finish school and then kind of get a feel of what the testing process was like. And sure enough, it just, it just worked out for me. They ended up uh, picking me up, sent me to the Academy. And, you know, uh, uh, looking back, I mean, I was 20, I was barely 20 years old when I was in the Academy. So probably way too young to be a cop. It worked out for me, luckily. Uh, so I worked there for a few years. Uh, I got on the SWAT team there pretty early on, got to do some cool stuff there, doing a lot of marijuana, uh, marijuana eradication stuff, uh, a lot of cartel grows up there. Then I really found myself, uh, I love to be proactive and it, I just wasn't getting what I wanted out of working up there. It was just kind of too small of a town. I was born and raised there. So, you know, I was running into people I knew a lot. I just wanted to go down to a bigger city, uh, more action. So uh, I ended up back in 2009 this was during the recession so not not a lot of places were hiring this one agency was hiring down in the city about an hour south of me threw my app in and fortunately i was picked up by them where i currently work now and at my old agency we didn't have a canine unit so i didn't know i didn't know anything about the whole dog program at all in fact i used to be afraid of dogs and so when i lateraled there i was doing a short stint on training and I remember uh, I was on a call, it was a robbery call. A uh, guy was still in the convenience store. And uh, I, you know, we all set up on the side of the building and the canine guy showed up. And this was my first interaction ever with a police canine. And honestly, I was scared shitless. I was, uh, I was the guy, I was like the young cop that just kept looking at the dog because I thought he was going to, I thought he was going to bite me. And he was right behind me. And the handler had to tell me, he's like, dude, stop looking at my dog, like pay attention to what the threat is. And I just like, I could not get over the fact that like this dog's like whining. He's, he's starting to bark and it scared the shit out of me. And I was already afraid of dogs anyways. So, uh, it turns out this guy like comes out of the store. Uh, we give him commands. He runs this dude like swings around, deploys a dog, the dog bites him. And I was just like, 
I was dumbfounded. I was like, holy shit, man. Like I thought it was so cool. Just the way the handler handled himself. Everyone kind of rallied around the handler and was kind of doing what he was telling them to do. And I was just, dude, that, that was it for me. Like I was hooked. I was like, dude, I gotta be a dog handler. And I asked him, I'm like, what do I got to do to like be on the team? And, uh, he's just like, dude, if you want to come out to training, check it out. You know, I'd encourage you to do that. So I did that. I went to trainings for about two and a half years, every Wednesday on my own time, volunteered. I raised money for the team. I went out, took dog bites, whatever I could do to help the team. I was there. And so, you know, testing for dog spots. I mean, those don't come open very often. So I had to wait, uh, like I said, two and a half years or three years for a spot to finally open. And, you know, I was able to, to finally get on the team. So that's kind of what jumpstarted my career in canine. My first dog was a little Belgian Malinois, uh, Dax, awesome dog. Um, we were with a different trainer back then, uh, to who we are with now. But yeah, that, that's, I guess that's what kickstarted my canine career. So it's funny when you say then the canine guy showed up. So when I got hired at my department that I retired from, I got hired in 1996. The canine guys show up. A couple of them dudes didn't wear vests. One dude didn't wear a shirt under his uniform shirt. Nice. So he would just have, yeah, just chest, the whole thing coming, shirt up against his skin. No, you know, no, no ballistic fat. And they showed up and, and, uh, if, it's funny in 1996, if I would have asked that, how do I get, how do I get into this? They'd go, yeah, get some time on a job, rookie. Get the fuck out of here. I don't even, yeah. don't even want to know what your name is. Yeah. So when you were growing up, um, were you, did you guys have dogs? Uh, I was somebody, I asked you this cause I was on, uh, the, the, um, another podcast the other day and he asked, I said, you know, my mom hated dogs. We didn't have dogs when I was growing up. So I had my first dog that I had. Uh, was when I got married. Yeah. Um, come to think of it, I don't think no, we weren't like a big dog family. I, I want to say when I was really little, maybe I think, I think we had two great Danes, but I don't even remember that. I mean, I was so young. So no, growing up, we didn't really have dogs. I was bit as a kid, uh, from a, by a dog. And so I, that's what I think what my fear of dogs was is because I was bit, but, um, uh, never, never really had any interaction with them or anything until I got on the canine team and that was it. You know, it's funny, you, um, if you're going to be up in Northern California, if you want to be a fireman, you should probably try North, like Cal Fire or something like that. So yeah. just think about this, the way your career has gone and the critical incidents you've had and everything at the police department. If you would have been, if you would have got into like something like North uh, or Cal Fire or something, you'd have been probably jumping into fires, all kinds of crazy maybe. shit that they're doing. Yeah, maybe. So maybe I would have Either way, <laughs> yeah, either way, as, as a first responder, you would have been in this shit, you know, if you did, if you went that route. Yeah. You know, it's just something I was always drawn to. Like it just, even before I got on the canine team, I just was always that guy that like, I, I, I recently just interviewed a guy on, on a podcast and he put it perfectly. He's a Phoenix SWAT guy. And he's like, dude, fourth and one, I wanted the ball. And he just, you know, he's talked about how he's always inserting himself in those situations because he just, he was confident. He trusted himself and he thrived off that adrenaline rush. And I just, I think I've always just been the same way. You know, I, I love the hot calls. I love going to them. I've been doing this, uh, coming on 16 years now. And I, and I still, I still enjoy it. I still love going to those and having to use your brain on, on those types of things. So I just, something I was always just drawn to. I, uh, so one of the things that I said at that seminar I was talking about was patrol integration. And then at my admin seminars, the one thing to new handlers, guys that are, that are thinking about getting into canine, the one thing that I tell them 
every time. And I say it the same way each time I say canine handlers are disproportionately put in the highest instance of use of force of any specialized unit in law enforcement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. More than anything. And then when people look at me and I look at the SWAT guys, and I was like, when was the last time you guys shot somebody? And they're like, oh, it's been, you know, months or years or whatever else. And I was like, meanwhile, one of my handlers had three bites last night. Yeah. And I was like, those bites are like millimeters away from the alternative, which is a gun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so, and I said, you got to keep in mind, the only reason those dogs exist, one is to find stuff. And the other one is to bite people. And so that require, and so inevitably they always go to those calls that are finding stuff for biting people that require a a disproportionately high amount of force, which is why it's always been interesting to me when we talk about like, you know, we don't do it anymore. Thank God. But like the whole curve versus West Palm beach bullshit, when we had the whole bite ratio stuff, which thankfully we're not doing anymore. But, Mm -hmm. um, um, I always thought it was interesting. I was like, the, the only reason these dogs exist is to like, to find narcotics or explosives or to track and apprehend violent criminals. And sometimes that requires getting bit or biting people. And so typically, you know, especially now, I mean, in 2023, like a lot of my handlers are fairly young. Uh, they're, they are definitely motivated. They want to go do stuff and they want to go find bad guys. They want to go find drugs and find bad guys. That's what they want to do. And people get into law enforcement. Like I have a buddy that's a helicopter pilot and he's like, I got into law enforcement to fly helicopters. I'm like, all right. I mean, <laughs> like, cool. That's yeah. what he does. And I'm yeah. like, awesome. And a lot of those guys come out of the military, but then I have people, I have friends that are like detectives and they're like, I've always wanted to be a, a detective. And they have an entire story about like a family member or whatever else. So like, that's all I wanted ever. That's all I ever wanted to do. And so I, I really encourage administrators. I say, if you have a kid or I say kid, if you have a guy that's super motivated and he's a good cop and he's not fucking stupid, then, you know, let him like, I mean, there's, those guys are proactive. Like, I mean, they're going to get shit done. So, which, you know, it's kind of the side that drew me to the training side anyway, because I mean, it's, I mean, it's one, I mean, it's fun, but two, I mean, you really get to make a difference. I mean, we have, I mean, you know, this, like those dogs show up and we inadvertently find people prevent things from happening or Mm. good shit happens because they're there. So, I mean, I, that's something that I wholly stand behind because where you're at now, and I know you've probably covered if you haven't, every other podcast in the fucking country's covered it, the whole California thing now with trying to get rid of dogs. New Mexico's doing yeah. the same thing, except they went a step further than you guys did, which is shocking. Uh, to their whole whatever they're calling this thing that they've got in New Mexico now. But yeah, I mean, have you guys had any interaction with that yet? Or what's the sentiment on the whole we don't want dogs to bite people thing? Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I think it's just something that's uh, an assemblyman threw out there, and in talking with other assembly members, who they, they, I mean, they don't even back it. You know, even Democratic parties aren't backing it. So I don't, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it was just thrown out there, but uh, I don't think the following is very big on it. And I, I just, I don't think it's going to pass. So I'm not even that concerned about it, to be honest. The today uh, the the Illinois House, <laughs> Illinois House Representative. Uh, voted to ban declawing of cats. Oh my god! Seriously, yeah. So. Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> That's it, crazy. It's still not a law yet, but Illinois has so many other fucking problems, and we're, we're worried about declawing cats. Yeah, yeah ours just tried to get a vote on like making daylight saving signs permanent. Which I mean, yeah, ours they're they're, oh, yeah, they're going to do that, that across the country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, we just pass that. So, but it's interesting because like New Jersey and Connecticut, I think were the first two states that tried during the summer of love to do the whole, uh, get rid of the police dogs thing. And then, you know, Washington had their 
their deal during that thing where they've now started rolling it back. And um, if you, I, we did an episode with Steve White, um, who is now retired, and I just saw him up in Minneapolis. Yeah. And I talked about that, but they're rolling some of that back. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been like they're just banning police dogs. And uh, we had, we've had Kevin Sheldon on a long time ago from Albuquerque. And, but Albert, he shared something the other day. Albert and New Mexico is doing a deal where they want to ban obviously dogs, but they want to ban all chemical munitions. So no pepper spray, no pepper ball. They want to ban all electronics. So no tasers. It's like literally the only thing they leave you with is like a car, a gun and a baton. Yeah. So, so stupid. <laughs> like I can give you countless stories of deploying oh, yeah. my dog and like had the dog not been there in that scenario, it more than likely would have resulted in a shooting. So I just don't think they're seeing it from that side of the table. I think they're looking at it in the sense of, they think we just deploy our dogs on just any criminal and are just shredding people. And that's just obviously not the case because probably partially our fault. And I think in law enforcement and the canine community is we just haven't really probably educated enough on it. You know, you look at a lot of YouTube videos and whatever cop shows and people are always, always highlighting the cool bite stuff, right? They're not ever seeing all the other stuff. So, I mean, it is what it is, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it passing here, at least in California. That's good. I'm going to go back a little bit to we're talking about like the the type of personality and, and being out front and being on those calls that, you know, and I've said this probably a lot of times over my life is that me, you, other guys were shit magnets, right? That stuff just happens. And I think there's probably a little bit to that, but I think we put ourselves into that position to be the shit magnet, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, my first shooting was in 1999. And now, granted, I was dispatched to the robbery in my zone, but uh, other cars were also dispatched. Today. It was two thirty in the morning. If I'm not the, sh if I'm the shit bag, I'm parked somewhere, yeah, deep buried car. But I wasn't. Yeah. I was patrolling, and was right down the street, like six blocks. And then, you know, uh, I had a, a incident where a guy died during a fight. And that was on a search warrant. So I was, you know, volunteering for that type of stuff. And then I had a, another fight where a guy died. And that's uh, me just that was kind of a shit magnet thing there. I was sent yeah. all the way on the other side of the city for that one. And then my last shooting was I was on SWAT. So I put myself out there. So I think there's probably a little bit of that. But like so I'm kind of an anomaly at my place. We've had other guys have had some a lot of critical incidents, but and you've had a whole bunch where you're at. Is that the, the nature of where you're working or are you just the guy that people are like, fuck, he's here. We're going to shoot somebody. No. Well, <laughs> I, no, I hope not. Um, yeah. It is. It, you know, I work in a busy city. There's, there's a, you know, there's a lot of crime here. Is it the highest level of crime around here? No, absolutely not. But there are a lot of bad, violent people that live here. So it is a busy city. I mean, I think you're going to, you do need that, you know, to get in these types of situations. But like you mentioned, I mean, I could be the guy that parks a car down the street and kind of like shows up third, fourth, maybe fifth on the call. Uh, but Hey, I wanted to be first on scene, you know, like I said, fourth and one, you, I want the ball, like put me in coach. I played sports my whole life. I thrived on that stuff. And if you're not that kind of person, I think if you are thinking about getting involved in canine, I think that's the wrong job for you because as a handler, you are the tip of the spear on all of those types of events. And you, you know, whether you think you want to be third force to the show, everyone's going to wait for you to get there anyways, just to, to really do anything. At least, I mean, they should be. So yeah, I just think it comes out of personality. 
it just suited me. That's what I love doing. And like I said, I still love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but as far as being in those shootings, I just, I, like you said, I, I guess stuff does fall in your lap sometimes, but, um, my first shooting I ever got in, uh, wasn't until I became a, a dog handler. And I truly think I will, I, I would have never even been there, honestly, had I not been a dog handler. So that has a lot to do with it as well. Yeah. They're sending you to the, those calls, you know what I mean? When yeah, I, so when I get hired in 96, the guy, the guy with the shirt and the no vest, his name is John and he's for the canine program of the city. I live at John is a hero. Like we named our training building after him. Um, he eventually got attacked at a Walmart and hit in the head with a baseball bat and got brain damage out of it. But John was a, uh, like a green beret in Vietnam, like hardcore dude comes back, goes to work at a factory, gets laid off, goes to work at the police department. Cause, uh, I mean, he needed a job, but that dude, his whole career, uh, on the radio, I'm right around the corner. I'll be there. I'm right around the corner. He was never right around the corner. He would be <laughs> flying 150. I'm like, how is this guy always right around the corner? I just saw him. He's 30 blocks from that call in his yeah. car. One of the old Caprice classic. I always remember car 64. That thing would be hovering over intersections, <laughs> 120 miles an hour to get to every single call he could go to. And uh, yeah. so I always remember when I was young, I was like, uh, I, that's, that's what I want to be. That's exactly what I want to do is be John Clark, exactly yeah. the way that guy is. And, uh, back, back then, if you were a dude, a dumbass, he would ask you to meet him out the gas pumps and then he'd fuck you up. <laughs> One of the, uh, things that Eric said to me, man, a long time, several years ago, when you, he was talking about like, you know, can handlers going to calls and whatever else is he said, one, the first thing you do is never say no, like don't ever say yeah. no. And, um, you know, it's, it's exactly what you guys are talking about. And I, to this day, like I tell in, in handler school, I tell all my handlers, I'm like, don't ever say no. If they want you to come out for something, go out, go out Always, and go. Yeah. Even if, even if you're not going to be successful, even if you know, you're not going to be successful. I was at a seminar last month and one of my handlers texted me. And he said, hey, our detectives are looking for um, some evidence that has been out there for four days. And we had some massive storms roll through here or where he's at in the western side of the state. And he said, they've been looking for this evidence for four days. You think the dog can find it? And I was like, first of all, what did I tell you? Don't ever say no. And if Deontay, if you're listening to this, you know I'm talking about you. Don't ever say no. Right. And of course, the fucking dog can find it. Go out there and, yeah. you know, you know what to do. 32 minutes. Found dog it. finds yeah nailed it and the detectives were like this is fucking amazing whatever else but it'd been out there for four days and the dog and he's cast he does exactly what he's been trained to do he's done it before he found guns and all kinds of other shit Casts the dog with the wind or against the wind or perpendicular to the wind dog gives the head throw fucking mocks over to the evidence and no problem and the the, the detectives were like this is fucking fantastic like it's exactly where they were sort of in the area where they said it was going to be but yeah don't ever say no and those are, that's like a canine thing. Like most of my handlers are guys like that. They don't ever say no to anything. You're like, you need my help? Yeah, I'll be there. hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. when they ask you, and when they ask you how far out are you, it's always a, uh, Hey, I'm five out. You're, even though, you know, you're like, I'm not five out. You're like I'm, I'm five out. You're, you're going to be there in five minutes. So yeah, no, that's true. And then to that story, you know, not only did that just build confidence in that handler and in his dog, but he just also built that confidence for those detectives that asked him to come out there because most cops that aren't handlers or detectives or whoever, 
they don't know shit about dogs. And quite frankly, I don't think a lot of cops even like to be around the dogs or they just don't have that confidence in them. You gotta, you gotta prove to these other officers in these, and you know, in his case, detectives that, Hey, look, this is a freaking valuable tool. And my dog just found this in 32 minutes and you guys took four days to find it. You know, it's so couldn't that's, find uh, that's it in four shit. days. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's that was good. my thing was don't say it over the radio. Don't ever say no. I don't care if the guy calling you is from another agency and you know, he is a dumbass or whatever. Don't say no over the radio. And then yeah. when you get there, you know, maybe it's a gun call and you can, you got to go, Hey man, you guys should, this is a gun call, not a dog. Yeah. That's a little bit different. But don't we have guys would get on the radio and go, um, well, how many guys have walked around there and and just excuses to not go? Yeah, and I'm like, that's yeah. the guy who's never at work on Saturdays and Sundays. That's a whole nother canine canine guys understand that get pitched at. There's never a dog on the weekend. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take our first break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk to Kyle about um, some SWAT integration stuff. And um, I'd like to kind of hear what it was like when you started and kind of where you're at now with, with the, how the canines being utilized. So everybody uh, stick around. We will be right back. All right. One of the largest conferences in the country uh, hits canine training conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes, lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 863-529-5113, hits canine, letter K number nine dot net, and at hits underscore canine and all of your socials. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they consider to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're they're amazing folks. Kineticdogfood.com. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars. Different cars, man. Dodge Chargers, all the Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. 
We loved American Aluminum Accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh, canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. EasyRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to tactical police canine training, that's letter K number nine training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. Um, Ted Summers and I here with Kyle Schoberg from the Shots Fired podcast. It's a, uh, how many downloads you guys got? You in the couple millions now? You guys have been rocking and rolling. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I focus a lot of our attention on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's up there. It's, it's growing quite rapidly. That's good. That's good. Well, our problem with YouTube is my face. Nobody <laughs> wants to come see my fucking face. Yeah. In my, I'm good. in my spare bedroom. You're, I'm not at a studio. That's, I tell you, I, you know, I'm good friends with Rich and um, Greg. We just had Greg on not too long ago. And Rich and I both own Ridgeside Canine. Uh, I own the Ohio one. He has the Northern California one. So I talk to Rich almost on a daily basis. And uh, getting with you guys in, in using that studio was the best thing for their show, for the Police Canine Radio guys. Oh, um, yeah. No, it's been great for them. It's funny because I watch it. And in the beginning, they were sitting right next to each other. I and I go, hey, uh, this isn't Ron Burgundy's show. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're not newscasters. Oh, yeah. You guys got to turn a little bit, to, uh, yeah. just a little. And they, they, they took it to heart. Yeah. So they're getting I like it. those. They, Usually those guys, they're calling me. They're like, hey, we're in the studio. We can't figure this out. I'm like, guys, I've told you a hundred times how to turn the camera on. It's not that hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Of course. It's, it's cheap and easy, remember? The two of yeah. them have... The two of them have things worn off on their hands because they're just knuckle draggers. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The both of them. Uh, those of you who have never met Rich, he is a uh, gorilla. He is a he is. giant purple belt human being that that can fuck you up and is the yeah. nicest guy. Yeah, he is. So, he's, a, he's a good dude. So um, I do know, I mean, most of us that got into canine a while ago, our training was pretty rude, old school bullshit training. A lot of helicoptering a lot of choke chains a lot of compulsion a lot of problems and then me and ted and i know greg and other guys and and you've probably experienced the polar opposites of the of the way training has progressed it's just on regular but i want to talk to you about uh the canine swat integration that's always a 
not a hotbed topic, but I think it's a little bit misunderstood. I think I think people think that they can get a be on a part time team that trains two or three times a month, and then have the dog free flowing with a stack in the in the house where the house is where you know where they're moving and everyone's directing the dog and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, half of their training is SWAT and they're barely even training with the dog. But um, it would be nice if that was possible on part time teams. But I. It's not my, really in my sh- my wheelhouse. I almost said shoot house, but my wheelhouse. So when you first got in and were messing around with your dog on SWAT, what did that look like? And then how have you progressed and where are we now? So when I got on, I was on the team for about a year and a lot of the older guys started transitioning off the team. Some promoted, left, whatever. And they came to me because they knew I had my SWAT background at my prior agency and they're they wanted to integrate a dog on the, on the team and they were open to it and they were kind of doing it before, but not, not to the kind of extent that we took it. And I was, you know, of course I was like, hell yeah, I want to do that. Like I didn't, I didn't know shit about it, but I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like I'll do it. And so I kind of started doing my own research on it. I took a couple classes on my own and then I started going out to some trainings just to kind of get a feel for it. And it's tough. I mean, like you said, if, if you have a part-time team, which we, we do, you know, it's, it, it is hard, you know, it's not like you're a full-time team where that's all you're doing, you know, training all, all day long. So kind of dipped our toes in it. I then went to skid school, which I thought it was great. It was good school, similar to SWAT school, but it was, you know, more obviously integrated for the dog. In fact, uh, funny, quick, funny story. My first day at skid school, I'm running a, a search with, uh, there were some other SWAT guys there from a different department. And I had to do a search with them. And one of the guys, like I deploy my dog, like I think I shouldered him, went up a ladder, put him in a room, downed him. And I told him to go up in the room. Well, he stepped in the room and then steps on my dog's tail. And the dog turns around and just freaking lashed onto his leg. I'm like, oh God, it sent him to the hospital. Day one. <laughs> Day one. Yeah, it was, it was bad. But um, so yeah, so I wrapped up skid school and then, and then I started to just religiously started going to SWAT trainings and the team leader was, was cool about it. And like you said, I mean, a lot of SWAT guys, they're like apprehensive about it. Right. And really, I think if we break it down, I think the SWAT guys and the canine guys just have egos and they, they like to butt heads. I think to have a, a good effective uh, SWAT dog or, or integrate a dog on the SWAT team, you, you got to uh, shred the egos and, and learn how to work together, you know, tactics and all that stuff. So, because in, in theory, they do have to listen to some of what you're telling them, you know, even though they want to control the movements and, and the tactics, which is fine, but there's a component of, you got to listen to the handler, what he's telling you and reading the dog too. So yeah, we did a lot of that. It, it seemed to go real well. And then gosh, I think like my first year on the team, it was insanely busy. I mean, I think we had, I don't know, 16, 17 SWAT call outs. I mean, just call outs that, that year alone, not including warrants and, and all that. So we were really active my first year. So I was able to get a lot of real world repetitions in and was able to find out what worked, what didn't work. Some SWAT guys, for whatever reason, just didn't work well around my dog. And so we had to kind of shuffle some, some guys around too. And I think it was just because they were so terrified of the dog, you know, the dog was feeding off that a little bit. So, uh, it got to a point where we, I would allow some of the SWAT guys to actually work the dog. Uh, if I wasn't going to be in a particular room, you know, there's always that comfort level of the dog and all dogs are different, but yeah, we just did a lot of that. And and like I said, I got a lot of real world experience out of it. Um, 
it was crazy. It was, it was a lot of fun. I've got some guys and well, and this is kind of unique or not unique to law enforcement. When you go into military stuff too, a lot of the military handlers that are dog guys will tell you the same thing. Cause a lot of those dudes aren't assigned to specific units. I mean, they're in specific units, but they're not on specific teams. Like they train as a unit together with other handlers and then they get kicked over as a support role. And so, and it's very similar in law enforcement. So like you said at the beginning, like part of the thing that got you into dogs, into canine was when you go to a call and you're there and you're fucking terrified and you're like, bro, everyone was surrounding the handler. Everybody's listening to what he's doing. Everybody's asking him for advice. Listen to this, that, and the other. And right. And you, and that handler had to tell you like, look, Hey, stop looking for the dog. Look for bad guys. Right. So then you go into a SWAT environment and all of a sudden nobody gives a fuck what, <laughs> what yeah. you want or what yeah. they're like, you're the fucking dog guy. You don't even have a yeah. rifle. And yeah. they're like, nobody cares. So a lot of handlers, especially in the military, have a problem transitioning with that, right? Like going from up here yeah. to being important on, on a normal patrol call to being just a fucking dog guy. Well, shit, we've had Benito on and his nickname is Benny the dog guy. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, that's what the SEALs call him. are like, oh, it's dog guy. And, and the other thing is, you know, understanding the capabilities where we've had the most success with our guys is, um, and when they have me come out, like I'm there, I'm like, look, I'm just here as the fucking dog guy. Like I'm not here to talk to you about tactics or anything else. And the one thing I do remind them, I'm like, look, having the dog here does not change our tactics and does not drive our tactics because the yeah, dog is doing me. something. We do not abandon basic safety bullshit. Like that stuff stays. And if we can't do that, then the handler knows he's got work to do. And I'm advocating for my handler at this point. So then it's literally like, you know, the handler knows his job. Most of my handlers, when they have SWAT training, they're not shooting. They're not doing anything other than handling the dog. They're doing what I just, I tell my handlers, I'm like, go do dog guy shit. Like go handle, go run leashes, go run lines, you know, go run in stacks. And those guys, like they'll run building, they'll run building clearings uh, through shoot houses. And the handlers are like, I'm just going to jump in. Dog's going to be in the position. So give me, you know, two extra call outs, two extra steps. Uh, when we enter rooms, let me send the dog in, let me call him back and you guys do your thing. Yeah. And the handler and the, the rest of the team guys get really, really comfortable doing that. Of course, the dogs are in muzzles. <laughs> and, yeah. But I, I mean, you know, so I think the transition a lot of times handlers have trouble with. But, um, you know, aside from selection of both handler and dog and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's it's a big it's a big sticking point a lot of times. It is. Cool. It is hard. You know, a lot of people have a hard time deciphering the difference between there's patrol searches and then you got, you know, then there's SWAT searches. They're not, they're not one of the same. And when you are in, in the SWAT world or a SWAT environment and you are there as the dog guy, you, you are taking direction from the team leader and what the team wants to do. And so if they want you to go, if they want you to put your dog in a certain area to go search that first, and that's, that's what you're going to do. Unless, you know, unless it's just something where you're like, okay, Hey, I can't get my, I can't have my dog do that for whatever reason. Uh, then they have to be able to listen to you. But, I think emotions uh, and don't never let your emotions drive your tactics and don't ever let the dog drive your tactics. Like you nailed it. Those are, I think the two biggest things that handlers need to be really cautious of, um, especially in a SWAT SWAT search. I, I mean, I'll use that example as in a patrol search, but more importantly in a SWAT, you know, SWAT type search, you don't ever want to let the dog drive your, your guys' tactics. Um, I can remember, a call out we were on and I mean, gosh, we were on this thing for like 15 hours, I think. And at the 16th hour mark, we were going to have to relinquish it over to another SWAT team. And they're, a, they're actually, they're a busy full-time SWAT team. And so they're, 
their leader, team leader, admin was like, Hey, look, we, you guys have exhausted everything that we would have done to try to get this guy out. And this dude was armed with a gun. He put a gun in his wife's mouth, threatened to shoot her. Um, so we knew he was armed. They're like, we're going to have to go in and get him. And, uh, so our admin made the decision. Okay. Well, we're not going to allow this other team to go in and get this guy. Like we're going to do it. It's our mess. So of course we're going to send the dog in first. And, uh, I remember going, so we make our way into the living room and it goes down a long hallway and there's multiple doors on either side of the hallway. And we have no idea where this guy's at. I actually thought I was going to, I thought this was a suicide mission for the dog to, to be honest. And I sent my dog down a hallway. There was an FBI robot that was dead and it was in the hallway and that thing weighed probably 800 pounds. It was massive. And, uh, I wanted to just send the dog down the hallway and kind of see what he did because we were, we didn't know where this guy was. And, the dog jumps over this like six foot robot bypasses like multiple doors and then shoots into a room at the end of this hallway. And I recall him. He comes back to me Yeah, I sent him down the hallway again and he does the same exact thing. And I looked at the team leader and I'm like, he's in that room. Um, and sure enough, the guy was, the guy was in that room. The dog just couldn't get to him. But I know I always found that that was like a, a fascinating story of why, why dogs could be so useful for a SWAT team. And I train all over. I've been all over the country training and I always ask like, Hey, who uses dogs on their SWAT team? And honestly, a lot of most teams that I've asked don't, don't even use them. So um, I worked four dogs at my department. I was on SWAT uh, just about the entire time. And there was other canine guys on SWAT at the, at the same time. We never used them. Never. They, yeah, if crazy. we did, they were perimeter. And in Ohio, we have basements. We have basements. <laughs> yeah, even so worse. So I would leave my dog in the car back at the SWAT office, and then I would be the first guy down the basement. And I was like, "This is I'm going to get shot in the legs for sure from underneath the steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we would just like, you know, go and just run down those steps. Like, it was terrible. And I'm like, why don't we use our dogs? There's four of us here that have dogs. Why don't we have our dog go into the basement? And they were like, uh, yeah, we just don't, don't want to do it. And, um, it took a while. Like you, so our guys don't still don't, there's, there's SWAT guys with dogs on the team. They don't really use them, uh, unless it's a super high risk warrant, you know, and we're drug raid one a week. They're pretty, I mean, they're, they're busy, but yeah, we don't get to use, we just didn't. It was crazy. It was so stupid. Yeah. Um, a A lot of teams still don't. So, yeah. Um, and I get it with the drug, the drug raid part, because you can't just have the, in my opinion, have the dog just willy nilly going around in a drug raid because like in the basement, you send them down there and there might just be a kid. It might be not, not the wanted guy. So, um, when, when you're asked to go train with, uh, to train an agency that wants to do some SWAT dog stuff, what are you seeing? Uh, so listen, these are the people you have. This is the dog they have. They're not going to bring another dog in. They want this dog to work because they got 10 guys on their team or 15 guys or whatever it is. What do you end up doing with those guys when you're doing the training? So well, I've never, I actually haven't, I don't train other departments for SWAT canine stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah. I, I train, my level of training is more critical incidents, responding, you know, to critical mm, all incidents, right. managing that stuff. But, um, so I can't speak on behalf of that. I, I would say something that I would say is if you are going to be 
on the team and, and a team wants to integrate you as a handler on, on their SWAT team, you gotta, you gotta have, you gotta have like the full kit. You know, I've talked to some handlers at some agencies who their SWAT team wants to use them, but they refuse to give them, you know, a cover six or the full SWAT gear. And I'm like, dude, that's fucking crazy because you're in the stack with the team. They're all kitted out. Obviously the stakes are high enough that the SWAT team is there. Uh, you need to have the proper equipment and odds are you're going to be going into the same building or house or wherever that they're going to be going. So I don't, that's a huge uh, disclaimer on, on my end is if you are going to dabble into that stuff, you got to make sure that you're properly equipped with the gear. So yep. what do you see on your team or not? What do you see on your team? What is your dog's primary role? Is it a location tool? Is it yeah. whatever or? Yeah, it's a location tool. Uh, we're very cautious. You know, if if we're going to go out on a call out or a, let's say a pre-planned event, a warrant service, we'll say, is it an arrest warrant or is it a search warrant? If it's a search warrant, we still go. But like you said, we're not going to deploy the dog in a house um, on just strictly a search warrant unless something builds up to that. Uh, on arrest warrant, different, different story, obviously. But so either way, we will always have dogs respond to all of our SWAT events, whether they're just containment at that time or an actual entry dog just depends on what, what we're there for. So the beginning, um, so I was on SWAT for 15 years. I want to say the first like six or seven years of it, dude <laughs> was, uh, full speed, full go stupid, no checking corners, just really bad tactics. Old, old tactics you run in you you see a guy you run at that guy you <laughs> yeah. got the first and greatest threat they called then yeah. a couple of us went down and did some work with uh fbi's hostage rescue team so we learned corners digging corners and you know uh domination and all uh, and all that other stuff but we were still doing everything at hostage rescue speed so <laughs> yeah. it's always yeah. fast the yeah. team now i know is definitely not doing that they're definitely doing mm -hmm. it right so do you guys are are you a long line offline? Are you taking ground with the dog and then moving up uh, without giving away too much of your stuff? Yeah, um, the whole like dynamic, you know. Yeah, I mean, unless you really are doing a hostage rescue, I think that's those that that tactic is kind of dead on the vine. I mean, really, a lot of SWAT callouts now are all surrounded callout. But if you are gonna, you know, the times that you are making entry because you have to, it's. It's just, you know, it would depend for me. I would obviously always have my long line on me all the time. And in fact, I would have two of them on me because if I had to hook my dog up to two long lines to give me, you know, 60, 70 feet of line, um, then, then I at least had that ability to, to do that. But, you know, working a long line in a house is a pain in the ass because mm -hmm. they get caught up on shit, you know. So uh, I, would, I would try to work my dog offline as much as I could. And the team knew that. We would push up with the dog wherever I would allow the team to dictate our movement and tactics. If they wanted a certain room or area cleared, I would clear it with the dog, you know, either down the dog or, or bring them back to me. So I had positive control of them. And then we would take that ground. And then it was just a slow de deliberate search of, you know, room by room, the dog will clear, you know, I'd get positive control. I would relay information to my team leader. Hey, the dog isn't showing any interest in the room. And that's another thing, you know, I would, the team knew that, the dog is not the end all be all. So just because the dog clears a room, there's a bad guy in there, you know, as far as you're concerned. So the rule was, Hey, the dog isn't showing any indication in that room because I never wanted to give them some false sense of 
security that, Hey, the dog cleared the room and it's good to go. I would never, never, ever, ever say that the team would then, you know, flow into the room, clear it. And then we would, like I said, we would just move up and room by room after that. So you just got to kind of work with the territory you're in. I think if you're going to be in that type of environment, it may be offline, it may be online. There's some guys out there who swear by just, they're like long, they will only run their dog on a long line. And I guess that's fine. If that's, that's all, you know, that's, that's how you train, but uh, that that's not how I work. I don't, I don't see how you can, can work like that. I mean, uh, you gotta be able to adapt to the environment that you're in. Yeah. And the one thing that we tell people, um, there's a scenario we run at HRD and then we, and our SWAT light stuff when I'm talking to non canine guys about dogs, I'm like dogs search people clear. Exactly. Huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> like just because he doesn't go in and do anything doesn't mean that that area is safe. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, and I, and I, I tend to find that if I pepper humor and people remember it, but I'm like, he licks his own ass and he's cat shit, no matter what, how well he's trained, we're not allowing him to like make this life and death decisions here. So dog search and people clear his only job is to find in that situation. His only job is to find somebody. That's it. Like and tell you where he's at. And just because I mean, I've got multiple stories of some of our guys on SWAT callouts where they ended up finding somebody that they didn't think were there. And oh, yeah, they, the yeah, well, they, I got, got a couple where they found someone after they, after this, the team told the new handler, we don't need the fucking dog. And they searched the house and couldn't find this guy at all in the house. Nothing. Right. Uh, so everybody's like unkitted down or like standing there token and joking. And my handler's like, oh, I'm going to run the house anyway with the dog on a long line just for practice, right? Just for training. So he sends the dog in, dog alerts on a pile of clothes next to the laundry room. The dude's hiding. And they'd all been standing there for like 20 minutes, fucking dicks in their hands, fucking talking. Yeah. And dude's sitting in this file of fucking pile. A dog nukes him and sitting in a pile of clothing. And everybody freaks the fuck out, of course. Um, and we've got a couple of like attic calls too, where they've searched the house. And so how do you deal like with addicts with dogs? So I have had one attic deployment with a dog bite. I was always, and I still am against, I, I don't like doing attic deployments with a dog. I think it's super risky. I think it's dangerous. There's too many other tools that we have now that can flush bad guys out of confined spaces, you know, to including cars, um, you know, doing car deployments. But, uh, so I've had one and it worked out, but I would evaluate the situation and depending on what, what we're after and who we're looking for, but you got to think if you're going to send a dog up into a small confined space, whether it be an attic crawl space <clears throat> under a house, uh, basement, wherever odds are you're probably, you, you might have to go in that, in that condensed space as well. And so you got to think about that. If you have other alternatives, I would, I would, I'm strongly in, you know, using gas or pepper balls if you have them, but I just, I, I think it's risky sending a dog in, into an attic. Um, that's, that's kind of my take on it. I know probably 10 handlers who've fallen through the attic with their dog in the bad guy. I have body cam yeah, it's from bad. one of my handlers. They searched the house for a guy. This is on the day before Christmas, so it was December 23rd as uh, so a day before Christmas Eve. They couldn't find this fool and dude was broken into a house they caught him on a ring cam couldn't find him they used pole cams and he fucking shit the fire department gave him like the infrared shit couldn't see him couldn't see anything right so my handler sends a dog up on and and definitely the when you see the body cam picks up he says yeah he's there 
and the dog has a hold of his arm and his foot's hung up on a rafter and he falls the he falls through the fucking ceiling and the dog's holding him from falling all the way through the handler verbally outs the dog dog falls through fucking falls onto the coffee or him and the dog or well the shit bag falls through <laughs> falls onto the coffee table all the insulation the coffee table breaks shit falls out of the attic uh, they didn't suspect this guy was armed, but he was definitely wanted on a, on a violent, like on a violent warrant. Uh, but which is the reason that they, they sent him, but they used pole cams and all kinds of crazy shit to go up into the attic. And they were like, he's either gone or we missed him. And they're like, Oh, let's use the dog. And, and they had the attic, they had the ladder down and the dog and the handler was like, he's never shown that amount of interest in an attic ladder. And the dog was trying to climb the ladder. He's like, yo, what's up here. So, like you said, need to evaluate it because had it been like a gun deal, they'd been like, "Nah, we're not doing that shit." No, because sheetrock they can shoot you from the above. Like that stuff is not oh, something. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, really, if you had to, you can start busting out sheet wall yeah. and let these guys fall through if they're not going to want to come down. I mean, there's there's other alternatives. You know, uh, I was going to touch on something. Honestly, I'm having a brain fart right now, but. Yeah, I'm not a fan of it. I, I think there's other ways to, to get people out. Uh, you know, there was a story a guy told me that he deployed his dog under a crawl space under a house. The, the guy was under there, and the dog wasn't making any sound. He, he suspected he was biting the guy, but he ends up recalling the dog back to him, and the dog was, uh, was bleeding, so he was uh, obviously injured. Well, another handler decides to deploy his dog under there with no line on him or anything, and knowing that he had challenges of uh, outing him and doing a recall, well, what do you think happened? I mean, the dog latches onto the guy, stabs his dog. They all then have to crawl into this crawl space, and it just, it's a shit show at that point. It's a so, perfect example of dogs driving tactics. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, so it's like, not what we want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes, so. I, I, look, as a handler, like, and that's, I think that's the emotional piece of it too, where guys are like chasing that bite because they're like, oh, this is an easy deployment. I can get a bite on this. Yeah, you, you probably could, but is that the best option that you have? to utilize right now is the dog. I mean, are you going to make this more of a dangerous situation than if you were to throw some gas under there and, you know, flush them out that way. But so I don't know. It was always my thing is if we knew, you know, where the guy was up in the attic and they wanted me to go, uh, get the bite, whatever. And if we get the bite and the guy's like not coming, not bringing the dog to me, so to speak, he's not, mm. he's not moving towards the attic entrance. Um, and then I don't want to go up inside there. So I out the dog and bring him back. Now what? He's yeah. still he's there. He's still there. Yeah. Yeah. He's still there. Now what? Um, so I, I, the thing, yeah. there's still a lot of places that teach it, that use it. And I, it's not my thing. That's the thing we yeah. say. Cause we often say, I mean, you hear like, guys say pause before boots all the time, unless it's in an attic, I think, or what's what it should say. And because of primarily, like you just said, where there, there is a location tool, right? Like this is where they're yeah. at. We searched the entire house. We've cleared the entire house. We know where he's at, right? He's not going to go anywhere. We've got perimeter and containment set. If he gets out of the house, he's not going anywhere. And I mean, literally, it's a sit and wait thing. And is it the best use of resources to do that is kind of the question that it, that it comes down to. And if there's other alternatives that can be done, like you said, gas, other chemical munitions, things like for instance if this thing were to pass them in, in in new mexico i don't know what they would do they couldn't use a dog they couldn't use tear gas they couldn't use pepper balls i don't know how they would get somebody out of an attic if that I, passed in new mexico 
I start busting all. I'd start busting the ceiling out, and he can fall out of the attic. Oh, the I mean old, that's true. <laughs> the old Halligan tool, buddy, right up through there. Yeah, you Just... you don't want to come out, and that's on you. But yeah, I, I do hear a lot of handlers doing attic deployments, and and I've had a lot of guys ask me my opinion on it. And I'm just like, eh, it's just I don't like it, and I'll tell them why. And hey, whether you choose to want to still do it or not, you know that that's on you. But I just I think there's other alternatives out there. All right, we're gonna go ahead and take our next commercial break. We get back, we're gonna talk a little bit about critical incidents. Um, I'm gonna share some stuff with mine, um, and uh, we'll talk to Kyle just about kind of. This, the, like dealing with it and the mental space and the help that should be or is being done and you know for guys when they're in those types of situations so don't go anywhere check the uh, show notes if you if you fast forward through the commercials the uh, discount codes and everything are at the bottom we have some great sponsors so please uh listen to what they got to say we'll be right back all right we love the perkinsons down in uh north carolina at highland canine training they are Great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should. Right here online, uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from, interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience, and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dr. has been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish, intuitive design, and accountable performance. The Dogtra 1900S e-collar is one of my favorites, and it demonstrates what they strive for, an ultimate dog training tool that is durable, dependable, and designed for the most demanding conditions, which I can attest to because I tear stuff up frequently. My favorite is the 1900S Black and the 1900S Hands Free, which I use all the time. Check it out at Dogtra. Dot com. Be sure to use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 black. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. To exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. 
super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement. I have several friends that are civilians that work lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra rideronline.com if you're looking for them on instagram and facebook it's american aluminum accessories feel free to hit them up there too so our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is arno out out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day. And it comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it, and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications and it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. These things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 
888-789-8837. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Myself and Ted Summers with Kyle Schoberg from the Shots Fired podcast. So um, when I when I was at the police department, uh, so my first shooting was in 1999. Ted, were, were you in school then? Like grade I was school? in college. Okay. What the fuck right, are you talking right. about? You're not that old. I mean, you're old. Like yeah. you got your AARP card, but you're not like, I'm not like, you're not yeah, I think that I old. Two more fuck, years man. That. I think I got a couple more years. But uh, so 1999, in college. me and uh, I had a partner with me. And then there was a canine guy there. I, I ended up, the guy came out of the robbery of the bar as I was standing there um calling out that I had an open door he came out had a gun i shot and killed him uh when i get back to the police department this is 2 30 in the morning so the uh detective bureau is handling you know the all the initial stuff and the fop sent a um and we have a separate union fop is it just a fraternal thing in in, in our area they sent a uh quote-unquote shoot team to come talk to me and uh the captains or lieutenant or whoever in the DB kicked them out, made them leave. Fuck all that pussy shit, they said. Um, I remember I was treated pretty good throughout the thing. My partner, Joe, was treated like an absolute scumbag piece of shit by a captain to where our union president and the captain came nose to nose, fist to fist in the detective bureau over the treatment of this guy. And uh, when I, I remember leaving it like, eight o'clock in the morning, the next morning after, after everything. And the chief of police, who was old, old dude, looked like Mr. Burns. He, uh, he came over and they say, chief wants to talk to you before you leave. Okay, cool. So I go talk to him. He goes, you feel free to take a couple days. You can take two days off <laughs> if you want. And that was it. And so I shot that guy on Wednesday. And I was back to work Saturday or shot him on Thursday and was back to work Saturday. Um, and then the other incidents I had, the, f- the first fight, nothing. Second one, the excited delirium, which was um, they tried to charge me with murder. It was a whole ordeal throughout that. I definitely didn't get any support from the PD on that. They actually, I worked the next day. Like I, Jeez. I worked the very next day. My gear still, I had to clean blood off of it and everything it was really bad. Then I get into another shooting in 2011. Now, that shooting finally in 2011, um, they had started, they brought uh, an after action team to come in and talk to you, just not just about the what's going on, what's 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 happening with you. Um, so I don't know. I know you, you do a lot of stuff about critical incidents. Is it all nuts and bolts of critical incident you're doing? Like how? departments should respond to it or is it like how they should treat their guys and 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 or is it just a bit of everything yeah it's a bit of everything your response the during the incident and then post incident uh, i really cover really all three what um what do you guys is there a list of things that are critical incident or is it up to the handler what he think or the officer yeah so I think our department does a very good job of, of handling shootings. I think we've, we've had enough of them where they figured out what works. And I've been a part of organizations or I've taught at organizations who, in my opinion, completely shit the bed on how they handle these things. And really it's not, it's not that hard. Uh, I think 
So let's start. So we'll talk, you know, if you're involved in an officer involved shooting, okay. If you're an agency that is still doing interviews or wanting to do an interview with the involved officer, the day of the incident, I say you're doing it a hundred percent wrong. Uh, and the reason I say that is there is such thing as called critical stress amnesia, where you may, or probably, or only going to remember up to 30% of what actually happened. And the problem with that is if somebody doesn't remember what they did and you're trying to ask them because you think they're going to remember because it just happened, people are going to start filling in the blanks. They're going to say things that probably didn't happen or they're going to guess nothing, nothing intentional to be dishonest or be deceitful, but that's just what your brain's going to do if you can't remember something. And so in today's day and age with body cams, people got cell phone footage everywhere, security camera footage, like the odds of your incident being involved in some type of camera, it's, it's probably going to be there. So you got to be, you got to take a couple days of, of sleep cycles uh, because your, your brain works like a Rolodex. And when you're getting that REM sleep, it's, it's starting to uh, remember a lot more than it did the day of the incident because you're, you're getting that, that sleep cycle in. So your, your brain is starting to, you know, recall more and more of the incident. You may, or you're probably not going to remember everything that occurred, but you're going to remember a whole hell of a lot more than the day of the incident. And some people have a hard time wrapping their brain around that because they're like, well, I was just in this critical incident or this shooting. I should be able to remember exactly what happened. And that, that is just, it's been proven time and time again, scientifically, that's just not the case. So that's like step number one is if you're involved in a critical incident or shooting and your department wants to interview you the day of, you tell them no. And obviously you should have an attorney at that point. You talk with your attorney, you let them know, Hey, I'm willing to give a voluntary statement and I will do it, you know, in a couple of days from now when I get uh, a two 72 hour sleep cycle in. Um, so I'm a big proponent of that. Do you remember when you did your interview, when you were in your shoot, your first shooting? My first shooting, I was forced. I had no choice. I did it that night. Yeah, um, that figures, I mean, especially yeah, back then, I don't, at like I six that. in the morning. So like four hours afterwards, you know, so you're tired, mm-hmm. you, you, you are gonna, um, you are going to, uh, uh, not remember everything that you're going to be a part of the critical stress amnesia. So you're only gonna remember probably 30% of what happened. And if you think back, I mean, do you think you remember every single thing that happened the night of the event, even to this day? Um, no, I, so here's the weird thing about my first shooting. So the guy comes out of the bar and he raises his gun, which turned out to be a pellet gun. So it's really strange. He he has the, it's like a movie. He has the gun and he has the, the deposit bag in his hand. So I'm about eight feet away from him, nine feet away. He comes out and I draw, I have my pistol out. I point and fire. And at the same time I fire, I'm on the, I slipped and fell and laid on the ground bang like i i remember i'm coming up i fire and then i'm laying on my back on the ground which is common right i expected for him to come over top and shoot me but i we had 45s and i hit him in the chest and it severed his aorta and moved him like four or five feet backwards and he, he didn't have that pistol in his hand and when i think back about it and this is um some introspective i've had to do is did i slip and fall or did I faint from that instantaneous dump? I, I I went to fire and I'm on the ground, but instantly on the ground. Like I remember, boom, hitting my head on the pavement, yeah. getting back up. So that part's really strange. And then my second shooting, 
um, it was a SWAT raid and a guy shot at the team on the way in and I was outside and he came to a window and busted a window out and pointed a gun out and I shot him with my M4 and I double tapped him boop, boop, real fast. I was convinced I fired one time. The only reason why I know I fired twice is there's two shell casings. Yeah. Um, they, I did the interview that day also, um, which was my choice. I think it's pretty stupid, but it seems to be, if it's a pretty clear cut shooting, they're like, yeah, you'll be all right, man. Just, just do it today. Yeah. And, no, and that's, that's common. Right. And, and it's because you, you think like, ah, oh, it just happened. I, I'm, I'm fresh in my mind of what happened. I want to just say what happened right now. And, and I just strongly advise you don't, you don't do that. Give your body a chance to rest, give your brain a, pro, a chance to process what happened and remember everything. Um, you know, and then as far as, you know, when you're in these shootings, I don't know how you guys <clears throat> handle it. I'm sure every agency handles it differently, but you know, we would be required to go talk to a psychiatrist uh, a couple days after the fact. So you would do your interview, then you would go see the doctor and that's just more like, Hey, tell me what happened. You tell them what happened. And then, okay, do you have any you know side effects from it? Are you ready to go back to work? And then really, I think most agencies, you're probably only getting one, maybe two weeks off of work. So you're kind of getting thrown back into it. But I think what a lot of guys or gals who are involved in those things don't quite get is the emotional piece of it. Because I mean, you got to think, man, you go through this like crazy adrenaline dump. Uh, all these chemicals are being released in your body. You're coming down off of that. You know, you may feel emotional. A lot of people find themselves crying and they don't know why they're crying. You know, some people can't eat for a few days. Um, their body just goes through these like this super weird transition and nobody ever really teaches us about that and, and what it's going to feel like. <clears throat> so I think it's, it's okay to let your, yourself and your emotions and your body feel like that where I think it starts to become, or potentially could be a problem is, you know, a month, two months, three months down the road, you're, you're still having those symptoms. I think that's when things might be a little problematic for you. And that's when I think you should probably reach out and go talk to somebody. I did EMDR therapy after my third shooting. Um, I was having a lot of the, you know, anxiety, uh, stress, depression, you name it. You know, I would find myself sitting in my patrol car for, I have no idea why. And I would just start bawling my eyes out. I, and I, till this day, I just, I don't know why. Um, nothing was bothering me at that time. It, there wasn't one thing in particular that bugged me. It was just, I would find myself sitting there and I would just break down crying. And then I started talking to more and more guys that have been involved in, you know, shootings. And that I found that to be like a common theme. And so once you start feeling yourself feeling like that, uh, you gotta, you gotta reach out and say something. And, and like I said, I went and did uh, EMDR therapy, which I found to be super useful. It's a post-trauma therapy. I don't know if you've heard of it, but. No, I was going to ask what that is. So that's something that I touch on in my classes. It stands for eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. And it's a, it's a therapy designed for post-trauma. And in a nutshell, what it is, is your brain stores trauma and bad things that occur in your life in one side of your brain, and it stores positive and good things in the other side of your brain. And those two don't know how to communicate with each other. So what EMDR therapy does is it stimulates the nerves in your brain. So you can either, they give you like two devices and you put one in each hand and they'll turn the machine on and it'll vibrate one at a time. So one, your left, right, left, right. And while that's happening, you're recounting the event, whatever the traumatic event was that got you there in your head, you're thinking about it. 
while this device is going and you're actually stimulating the left and the right side of your brain. And as you play the scenario out in your head, the therapist will ask you specific questions about it and then sh they shut the device off. And now you've just deactivated your nerves over top of each other while recounting the hmm. scenario in your head. And I did a total of, I think, 16 sessions of this and it cured all of my symptoms with the exception of, I think, maybe one or two. Um, it's highly effective and it's becoming more and more popular in the law enforcement world. Military uses it uh, very, a lot. Uh, a lot of combat veterans use it. So it's called EMDR therapy. If, if you're listening, go, you want to go check it out. I get asked about it a lot. Um, so that's just something I kind of push on people. You know, it's if you're feeling like that, hey, that, that's an option for you. Um, you know, I also don't like to over push it and make people feel like they're fucked up if they're not. You know, I mean, a lot of departments, I think, are pushing so much on this stuff now that it's like you get involved in one critical incident and they're like, oh, my God, you know, like they basically start making you feel like you should be fucked up. And, and then you're like, mm -hmm. God damn, I feel fine. But like, should I be fucked up? Like, it's just, there's a gray area, I think. And too much is too much. So <clears throat> it's a balance, I think with the mental wellness stuff, but, um, I'm glad it's being talked about. I mean, obviously there's a huge stigma of it back in your day that that shit would never be talked about. Um, so that's a lot of the post critical incident that I teach, uh, what to expect after the fact. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, my first three incidents, there was nothing. I think the last shooting there was. But the funny thing with my department, man, is it's just because the administration always sucked. They um, acted like every time one of the guys was in a shooting, like we'd never been in a shooting before. Like it's never happened. Yeah, yeah. And so so my last shooting, I'm in an office at the detective bureau. It's actually a little conference room. And I'm in there with my union president. And then at some point, my attorney is in there. The entire time I'm in the room, like an hour, two hours, three hours, I can't remember. I have my M4. And I shot him with that M4. I have the M4. you had it with you? Yes. Wow. Two or three hours. So the captain comes in, who's a turd. And he goes, hey, we're going to, we got to take the, the rifle. I go, yep, I just cleaned it. Good to go. Oh, shit. And he cleaned <laughs> He's like, what? Uh, I go, Captain, I'm kidding. Yeah. But you should have took this three hours ago, you yeah. idiot. So, yeah. and the attorney just shakes his head. So I'm in there. I do all, all the stuff and I go to leave and I stop in the captain, that same captain's office. He's in running the DB. And he says, hey, uh, I got to take your pistol too. And I'm like, okay, I just reloaded it. And I handed it back to him. And he's like, stop fucking doing that. And I go, be better. Yeah. Act like you fucking been here. We shot a guy three weeks ago. What what are you doing? You know? Um, so that, that that part was really weird. I'm sure it's it hasn't changed much um since I left. We've since I left, they've shot probably in the last five years, four and a half years, five or six people. So um I think I would hope they have it down, but more than likely not. But here's a weird thing with me, man. So we're talking about the emotions and things like that. I don't think I've ever told anybody this. Um, so years ago, Sopranos, remember the show, the Sopranos is on. Yeah. And there's an episode in the Sopranos where Tony um, is sitting in the car out in the street and uh, two black guys that were recruited by Tony's uncle to kill him, come up to the car 
and they go to shoot him in the car. And it's a it's a really weird shaky camera, like almost like it didn't record right. It's like really bot, real shaky camera. Dude, that the first time I saw that, that threw me into some weird shit from my first shooting. Like yeah. really strange stuff. Now I've watched that episode 20 times since and it doesn't do that. But that first time, dude, you want to talk about catching me off guard. I was like, holy fuck, what was that? And then that just brought all that stuff back. Yeah, you know? and that's that's the problem when you don't deal with it up front. It's gonna linger there. It'll be there forever. And then and then something will happen later on in your life where like you just said, it'll it'll bring you right back to that to that moment. And you don't know when that's going to happen. So that's, that's why I'm, I'm just a big proponent of like, just deal with it. Um, so that shit like that doesn't happen to you. Some people would spirals them and turn into alcoholics. I mean, they can't, you know, they end up getting fired or they quit. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately it probably happens more often than not when there are, there is, there are things out there that you can do to, to mitigate that kind of stuff. So it's just, like I said, it just wasn't really talked about it. I think, uh, I was, I want to say I was the first one at my department. So this was back in 2018. It was my, after my third one, um, that I was like, I had to pull the plug cause I was fucking spiraling and, and I was like, yeah, I, I'm out. Like I gotta be done. And, and that's, I started doing my own research on all this shit and that's how I came across EMDR therapy. So I was probably the, the first one in my department to ever do it and then actually come back to work and then come back pretty, pretty healthy. And then unfortunately, I think I was only back a couple months. I was in my fourth shooting and I had a brand new cop with me involved in that one. That, that, that one involved my dog. And I told him, I was like, dude, he was one week off uh, training. And I'm like, you got to go do, go do a session or two of EMDR therapy. And he ended up going and doing it. He, re- he said it really helped him. So that's um, cool. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, yeah, another weird thing, a weird thing with me too, is then, uh, on my last shooting the next year, I got into a, a bad motorcycle crash and got a big tr- TBI brain injury out of it. I So now, I told you earlier the shooting was in 2011. I think it was. I don't remember. So because of my brain injury, I remember the details of what happened that day. But And this is a weird thing for th- those in law enforcement. When you shoot somebody, you remember that guy's name forever. You remember yeah, the dates, all that. Yeah. I don't remember the guy's name. I don't know the date. Um, I only, his name is something like Bob Smith. Like it's something real common. Hmm. Don't know it. Don't remember it. I remember the incident, but little finite details like that. I, I can't remember. And then, so all, a lot of events around that time frame, I, I don't, I don't remember from that brain injury. So good or i don't know if that's good or bad that might come back at some point uh yeah i don't know but um i know right where it's at too I, i've shown people the building i know where it's at um but yeah and i remember it was a raid guy's a heroin dealer i remember that so yeah yeah your brain brain won't forget that i uh when i teach my class i'll, I'll have especially older guys come up to me after the class and i've had guys come up to me crying and they're like I've experienced that for so many years and I've never told anybody. And I'm like, fuck, I'm like, all right. You know, all it takes is one guy to be vulnerable in front of a group of other guys. And next thing you know, it's like you you get people that come out of the woodwork and they're wanting to divulge their story to you and tell you that they're fucked up and they just never, never wanted to say anything to anybody. So yeah, sometimes that's all it takes. So yeah. And we, you know, I would hope agencies have come a long way. So we, I got hired in 96. I got hired with a guy named Brian Roshong. 
And we, we had, most of us had been through the academy already. We got hired in May. So we're, we're down, we're learning the department for about a month and then we go out on the road. And Brian and I were on different shifts and we're working with senior guys and Brian's working a month and a half on, on the road and he gets killed. Um, there was a, they used to make us sit in the impound lot because they had, they had a shitty fence and there was a ton of shit getting stolen. So they had the rookies sitting in the impound lot. And there was a guy named Brock healed. Um, I, I really liked Brock. Brock came from Honolulu PD came to Canton, Ohio for, a, because of a woman, of course. And, uh, Brock is the one who sees the guy, Apollo Williams in the, um, in the lot, creeping around, breaking into the cars in the impound lot. Brock starts the chase, the foot chase that ultimately leads to that Apollo Williams killing Brian Rochon. They made fucking Brock work the impound lot the next shift, the next day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Brock did not retire. Brock made it about, it was like 15, 18 years on the job and left. He was, yeah. he was a miserable son of a bitch the whole, sorry, Brock, if you're listening, but he was a miserable person the rest of that time there. You know, yeah, I mean, why would you do that to somebody? That's fucking crazy. They didn't care. Didn't care. Still made us. I, I had to work and I, I came on with Brian. We were classmates and I had to work that probably a week later. They didn't pound yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think sometimes admin makes decisions and they just don't they don't think it through. You know, like you said about taking your gun and things like that, you know, um, that that alone can fuck somebody up. You know, when you just strip somebody of something that potentially just saved their life that they had to use to save their life that could really mess with somebody, you know, and something I think we do really well at is we don't, obviously you need to take the gun that we, we should all know that, but we do gun for gun. So, you know, mm -hmm. take the firearm that was involved in the shooting and immediately replace it with an, another firearm. So, you know, if that's a small little tip the, that an agency can do just to, just to kind of reduce or mitigate that stress for that officer, you know, you don't want to, something as small as that, like taking the, the gun they were in a shooting with, that might make somebody feel like, well, fuck, did I do something wrong? Or, Hey, that thing just saved my life. And now you're taking it away from me. Um, you know, yeah, they, so. we had to get it in our contract to gun for gun because my shooting in 96, they took my gun at the scene and made me drive back to headquarters in a cruiser with no gun, with no gun. Yeah. Does that make sense yeah. to you? I mean, that's no. stupid. It was absolutely ridiculous through the hood all the way back pretty far we're off on the far end of the city um so yeah there was a lot they just all the old timers had never been in any shootings they were like fuck you guys man you pussies you don't need you know you yeah. don't need to talk to anybody and yeah so it gets it's you know I, I i'm hoping i like that i'm gonna look at therapy stuff up I, ted you ever heard of that yeah i have um i was as i'm sitting here listening to this i was um texting one of our friends uh ray who has a uh, 501 that does stuff for police actives and retired police officers, first responders and uh, veterans called the warrior healing network, warriors healing network. And they have some therapies that they uh, help pay for, uh, for people that are involved in critical incidences. And um, they send a couple of guys last year, <clears throat> 2022 for these therapies. And we're extremely successful. Um, one of the people they sent was actually on the podcast, uh, or this one, and uh so yeah and and emdr is not like relate i mean it's a broader than just obviously just law enforcement but um it's 
use for treating PTSD and complex PTSD. So, and yeah. I'll, even now, I mean, it's 2023, we have a fucking remote control car on Mars that has its own remote control helicopter and people are still afraid to say, yeah, I've got PTSD or like there's still a stigma around it. And there's not, obviously I've never been involved in a shooting, um, but I've had handlers that have been involved in shootings and even then, like any critical incident, um, even if you're involved and not the one that is involved, like that's been shot or shot at, um, that was involved, that was near there, you were involved. Um, that's still very, I saw it's the thing the other day that said, you know, people will experience two to three critical incidents in their life. Police officers experience like what, like hundreds. I don't even know the number. <laughs> like yeah, it was a huge, yeah, high. it was a huge number, right? Like every night you go to work, you see people you like at their fucking worst, so you deal with the fucking worst portions of the population. Um, and that shit wears on you. I mean, to put it mildly. And so, you know, I mean, I think, um, you know, back when Eric was talking about when apparently I was in college, when things had changed. Right. And to be fair, like back then, you know, there wasn't a big there wasn't a premium placed on that kind of treatment, even outside of the law enforcement population, just in general. So, um I think it really came to a head when we came back from, we had a lot of Gulf war veterans coming back. Cause you know, like the previous war was Vietnam. And obviously we had a lot of dudes that were fucked up from that, that are still fucked up from that. Yeah. And we had a lot of people come back and it didn't really start hitting until we had guys come back from the first Gulf war and definitely come back from uh GWAT where they started dealing with it. Now, whether the, therapies have been effective or not it's a different deal and outside the scope of this podcast but uh at least it's recognizing it and then dealing with it and like you know even people listening to this like gun for gun or um the biggest thing that even you mentioned kyle is you know waiting a couple of days because you're talking about it and i haven't said much this has this quarter or this third of the podcast because i don't have a ton of experience in this but that's the thing we're always taught right like do it now while it's fresh in your mind like so you don't forget anything you don't forget anything and I'm kind of recounting back over things that were that have happened to me in my life and shit that I'll never forget. And, you know, whether they be good or bad or whatever it may be, but that stuff doesn't go away. And you're 100 percent right. Like as you remember things like as time goes on and things remember like and I don't understand the science behind it. Um, but, I mean, I've heard podcasts and I've talked to people that are that that's their thing. But yeah, that shit doesn't go away and you don't remember it initially, like very quickly. And that's one thing they teach everybody anyway, which I don't understand. Like all cops go through the deal, like where you interview someone that has just been in a wreck or a traumatic thing and they want to question them right then. And they're like, oh, they're not very reliable. But then they expect you guys to be reliable, like right out of the, or they used to anyway, which yeah. doesn't, doesn't fucking make sense to me. <laughs> so, and then you're held accountable for it too, which is always fun. Right. So like, well, you said this and you're like, yeah, well, I mean, I had just been shot at, or I just fucking killed somebody. So like, yeah, I'm, my shit's a little fuzzy. So give me a second. But uh, I'm glad personally that that is taking shape. Like, and I hope they continue to uh, like, so is that one thing that you see a lot of departments? Like, are they taking that stuff a lot more seriously now like Eric said that he didn't think his department's changed a whole lot, which probably doesn't doesn't surprise me. But um, like, are a lot of departments like proactively like looking at ways to help with um, that? Because I mean, like you know, Eric just mentioned guys that going to work right after getting two days off, and you know, I mean, 
I don't need to tell anyone listening to this that getting into law enforcement now is an exceedingly easier job because nobody wants to fucking do it. Yeah. And keeping people is difficult. Mm-hmm. And obviously crime's not going down. So the number of critical incidents has remained relatively flat, if not climbed, but per capita has increased per police officer. So there needs to be an increased focus on that management after the fact, like post-care. So have you seen a lot of departments like move into that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of departments are starting to focus on that. And uh, the mental health wellness piece is, become a focal point of a lot of departments. So I, I think so. Um, you only know what you know. And, and sometimes it just, you, you know, it takes someone to go and teach your department. Hey, these are the, these are the steps to take, or you may want to consider taking after an officer has been involved in some type of critical incident. And uh, it's nice to see when you teach somebody that and, you know, sh- your, your credibility of like, Hey, I've experienced this, you know, multiple times over, I have, you know, work, departments that follow adhere to these things and it works. It, it is nice to see some departments that do adopt it. Um, you know, but yeah, it takes, it takes somebody to, ha- yeah, to educate people in order for them to, to know about it because otherwise they're, they're not going to know. They're just going to think they're, they're going to think like, Oh, well, he was just involved in this shooting he should, he should probably remembers exactly what happened. It's like when you get a dog bite, a lot of handlers want to go back and immediately write the report that night. Uh, some of their supervisors require them to write a report that night. I'm actually pretty big on letting the handler, handler sleep on it. And, you know, I think they're going to remember a little bit more the following day, give them that opportunity to uh, process that maybe watch the body cam footage uh, prior to writing your report and then finish your use of force report or bite report uh, the following day, uh, if you can. Um, why wouldn't you want to do that if you're going to say potentially save your department, the handler, some type of liability? You don't, you know, I mean, you don't want the handler to leave something out or forget forget some piece of it, and then it shows up on body cam, and I don't know. So those are just things that I'm kind of pushing. Yeah, um, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, I'm amazed at how many guys, so I used to do use of force review for dog bites when I was the head trainer at the department, and uh, how many guys would write their report without watching their body cam? Oh, a a lot of them do, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Like, the one guy's like, I told him, you know, I grabbed the dog by his collar, I gave him the command to out, and he outed. But you go back and look, he said the command 11 times. Yeah, I think it just becomes so routine to to people that they just think... Yeah, just going off dude, of memory. What are you doing? So, all right, let's switch gears real quick because we're going to be finishing up here. Let's talk about the podcast, Shots Fired Podcast. For people who listen, they they like it. I know it's been really successful for you guys. Those, those are that don't, what can they expect? Yeah, it's a platform where we could bring first responders, police officers, get provide them a platform to share their stories. You know, I think the public wants to hear what we do behind you know, on our side of things, you know, and if all, if all the public is getting is what the media push is pushing out there, which is what we've had the last couple of years, which has turned against us. I feel like we gotta, we gotta get out in front of it and we gotta let some of these officers share their stories, share the behind the scenes, you know, talk about what we just talked about, the mental health side of it, you know, the traumatizing things that, that happen to cops and that cops have to go through. Um, you know, so I just wanted to provide a platform for guys to and girls to be able to do that. And so we did. And, you know, a lot of it was, hey, let's 
use the things that we've experienced and our expertise and push it out to, you know, podcasting is, this is going to reach, you know, people across the world Mm -hmm. uh, versus you travel to a department. You're only going to be able to, you know, speak in front of 30, 60, maybe a hundred people. So for me, it was just a huge ground to be able to provide that for people. And it, it uh, started out a little slow and then it just started to build and build. And then, yeah, it's just kind of grown from there. And the interesting part is I had some people say, Hey, you're crazy for putting yourself out there like that and putting these stories out there. And that's fine. Um, I believed in it and I've had an overwhelming success of people that are not in law enforcement, email me, hit me up on social media, comment on our YouTube videos, thanking us for, you know, showing us or showing them the basically humanizing the badge and showing them the human side of what we do for a living. Uh, I think people appreciate that and they want to see that of us. You know, nobody, look, none of us like shitty cops. We don't like corrupt cops, um, cops who use excessive force. We're, that's not like, that's not what we're about. So, um, yeah, they need to get weeded out. So, uh, but, but yeah, like I said, it's just a platform for us to be able to share stories. Um, it's all about education and fuck making videos. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. it. <laughs> so, uh, you're on, I'm assuming all the platforms, what's the YouTube channel? Yeah. You, the YouTube channel is just shots fired podcast. Um, same with audio. You can find it on any audio platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've listened to it, watched it. Some good stuff, man. Some like harrowing stories, like, uh, listen to your story. If you guys get on there and check him out, you'll see uh, some of these shootings are talking about other people's critical incidents. It's a, it's a good it's a good platform to to uh, to get some a lot of that information out there. I really I really enjoy it. Ted, what about you? Where are you at? Uh, on the Instagrams, it is uh, Ted underscore Summers, and then Working underscore Dog underscore Radio, and then Torchlight underscore Kana. Or no, sorry, just Torchlight Kana. Um, and then we have Torchlight Pets also, which is um, uh, basically all Doodles and Pit Bulls. Um, <laughs> So, and then we have HRD police canine, which is the training side. Not um, as pretty much filled for the rest of the year. We have a couple of closed seminars that are not even posted. And then we're going to Billings, Montana. And then right after hits, which by the way is in August. And if you haven't signed up yet, you need to sign up and go. Uh, it's going to be in Phoenix. Um, and I hear they have a, a surfing, they have a wave pool that uh, you can surf in the desert from what I hear. And I'm doing it. Uh, I'm trying to take my girlfriend too. We're going to see how that goes out or see how that works. Uh, but yeah, it's right after I'm going to Santa Clara, California, right after that for another HRD. So South end of the Bay, we were just up at the North end of the Bay last year. So going back, going to the South side, going to see guy, Mike Jones and the guys again, they're going to decoy for us. But, uh, yeah, where are you at? Van SK nine on Instagram is all you really need to know. Just check it out. Workingdogradio.com. We have t-shirts and everything. Kyle, what about, um, you got any social media? Anybody can get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, yeah, I've got Instagram. Uh, Kyle underscore Showbury is my personal Instagram. And then um, just Shots Fired Podcast Official is the podcast uh, Instagram account. Nice, nice. Well, man, this is good. I, I uh, during, during the second segment, I was like, yeah, let's just get some stuff out, you know, on that third segment about the mm-hmm. uh, critical yeah. incident. Because for, for some guys, dog handles, dog handlers, the bite is a critical incident, you know? Oh, dude, for it, sure. Yeah, yeah no doubt. especially if you got a weird one, if anything is off, you know, where they're going to look at you sideways. Uh, so anyways, I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a great episode. Uh, this will be out in a couple of weeks, actually, I think. Yeah. So uh, 
like to uh can't wait to to see how it comes out and what what people think so anyways thanks everybody for listening and thanks, we'll guys. see you on the next one you got your reasons i got my wants still got that feeling but i'm too old to die young Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.